Exodus 31, Oliab and Bezalel, the Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by the name of Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with the ability, intelligence, with knowledge and craftsmanship, <clears throat> to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, bronze, in cutting stones for settings, in carving wood to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all able men ability, that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, the ark of testimony, the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offerings, with all the utensils, and the basin, and its stand, and the final work garments, and the holy garments of Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons, for the services as priests, and the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense for the holy place. According to all that I have commanded you, they shall do so. The Sabbath. The Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbath, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generation, that you know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, and on the seventh day is the Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Friends, we find that Moses may have received the instruction, but he was not called to the construction. Moses may have received the instructions from God about the building of the tabernacle, but he was not called to the construction of the tabernacle itself. And why? It's because we all have different gifts. You know, it's easy to look at a guy like Moses and go, wow, wow, he is important. He's got some important gifts. And, and friends, he is, but so are others important, and so are their gifts. The instructions for the tabernacle were ultimately useless if there was no one for the construction of the tabernacle. You know, Leah and I have often talked about having a porch built on the front of our house. Now, we can look at other porches, we can dream, we can design, we, we can create elaborate instructions for exactly what we want, but I have no idea how to make those instructions into a reality. And so, if we come to that point, 
we'll hire someone who has those gifts, the abilities of construction, to take our instructions and make them real. And it was the same with the tabernacle. Friends, Moses was not an artist. He was not a builder. He was the one gifted by God with the instructions for the tabernacle, but that tabernacle never would have come to be if not for others gifted for the construction of the tabernacle. And as such, we met two men this morning, Bezalel and Oholiab. Bezalel and Oholiab. I practiced those names all week long so I could consistently get them right. Because they just don't roll off the tongue like Moses does. But the exact names of these men have been preserved for us today, thousands of years later. The exact names of Biel... Ah, I knew it! After I told you that I've struggled with it, I knew I would. Bezalel and Aholiab, their names have been preserved for us because of the role that they played in God's purposes. In fact, verse 2 actually says that God called them by name. God called them by name. And what names they had. Bezalel means in the shadow of God. In the shadow of God. And here's a man who was working using his talents in the shadow under the instruction of God to make this tabernacle a reality. And Aholiab's name means my tent is the Father God. My tent is the Father God. Aholiab was going to be used to build a tent for the Lord, and his name itself declares that the Lord is a tent, a shelter to his people. And so we have their names preserved for us thousands of years later because God had given them the gift of construction. And without their gifts being used, the gift that Moses received, the instructions would have been for naught. And we see that the same Spirit of the Lord, who had given Moses his instructions as the Spirit of the Lord, that filled be ah, I knew I was going to hiccup on it, Bezalel and Aholiab, we knew that it was the same Spirit that filled them as filled and instructed Moses. Verses 3 through 5. I have filled them with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs to work in gold, silver, and bronze, and cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work every craft. God filled them with His Spirit to give them the gift so that they could make the tabernacle a reality. Now, this is the first time that we find such language used in the Bible. Filled with the Spirit of God. Those called to God's purposes are equipped for those purposes. Those called to God's purposes are filled with the Spirit to equip them to that purpose. The New Testament illustrates this truth lavishly. You know, before his birth, it said of John the Baptist in Luke 1.15, He will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Filled with the Holy Spirit. When the church was born in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it says, They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And when Saul, also known as Paul, was called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, the Spirit filled and equipped him. Acts chapter 9, verse 17. 
So Ananias departed and entered the house, laying his hands on Paul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. God fills with the Holy Spirit and equips those who are called to his purposes. The Spirit was given to Bezalel, to Oholiab, to John the Baptist, to the early church, to the Apostle Paul, and the same Spirit has been given to each one of you. Now, church, you might be quick to say, well, because I don't have this particular gift or that particular gift, I'm not important. Adam can preach. Jacob and Wendy, they can play piano. Rich can teach. Dan can pray. Patrick can make us all laugh because he is the least elderly elder, after all. They've all been gifted by God with important gifts. But I don't have any of those gifts. So therefore, I'm somehow not as important. And church, we need to recognize that for what it is. That's a lie of the enemy that's meant to cripple God's people and prevent us from being used by God as he would intend. Moses may have received the instruction, but he needed Bezalel and Aholiab's gifts of construction if the tabernacle was going to become a reality. The Spirit has gifted us all differently, and every gift is important to the accomplishing of God's purposes. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul speaks at length about this truth. He writes in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 7, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God, who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each is given. You've been filled with the Spirit for the common good, for the accomplishment of God's purposes. And so if you're tempted to say, hey, listen, I'm no Moses. I'm no Adam. I'm no Brian Vandenbrink or Tim Payson. You know, hear what Paul goes on to write just a few verses later, starting in verse 14. For the body doesn't consist of one member, but of many. And if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less part of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. I mean, imagine if Bezalel and Aholiab had said, well, we weren't invited up the mountain to receive the instructions like Moses was. And we're really not good public speakers like Moses is. And we're certainly not leaders like Moses. So I guess our gifts are not really that important. We don't really have a part to play. Friends, if they had said that, there would have been no tabernacle. And what will be the cost today if you say, my gifts are not important? What will be the cost today if you say, well, I can't preach like Adam, I can't play like Jacob, I can't pray like Patrick, my gifts are not important, I have no part to play. Friends, what feat will remain unaccomplished? Who will not be reached? What great work is going to go undone? 
the Scripture says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as He chose. Moses may have received the instruction, but Bezalel and Aholiab did the construction, and thus the tabernacle was built. And church, what part? What part is God calling you to play? Because church is not a spectator sport. Every part of the body has a function. Every member has a role to play. And every role is essential. And you might say, but Adam, I don't feel equipped. I don't feel equipped to do much of anything. Hey, Samuel, we don't need that scripture yet. You can take that down. Thanks. You might say, Adam, I don't feel equipped. I don't feel equipped to do much of anything. But God doesn't call those that are equipped. God equips those that He calls. God doesn't call those that are already equipped. He promises to equip those that He calls. The founder of the Methodist Church, John Wesley, wrote in his journal, among the many difficulties of our early ministry, my brother Charles often said, if the Lord would give me wings, I'd fly. I used to answer him, if God bids me to fly, I'll trust Him for the wings. God has bid us to fly, church. But all too often, the church remains grounded because we don't see any wings. But if God has bid us to fly, He will fill us with His Spirit so that we might soar. Because He doesn't call those who are already equipped. He equips those that He calls by filling them with His Spirit to accomplish His purposes for His glory. And church, what part is the Lord calling you to play in His purposes? If the Lord bids me fly, trust His Spirit for the wings. Ask the Lord, what role are you calling me to? And then trust that He'll fill you with His Spirit. And let Him cause you, and may He cause us as His church to soar to heights unimaginable. Now here, having told us about Bezalel and Aholiab, we find this uh, sudden and almost a jarring reminder all of a sudden about the Sabbath. You know, in the book of Exodus, we find that at least five times there are commands and teaching for Israel about Sabbath-keeping, and here it is again. And we should probably ask the question, why here? Now, remember what we've just been through. There were five chapters, five long chapters that we didn't read all of, but five long chapters of instruction that God had given Moses for the temple. And in today's passage, the Lord has provided men for the construction of the temple, and now the Lord decides to take a break and tell them about observing the Sabbath again? I mean, it seems a little bit out of place, doesn't it? Or maybe it's not. Maybe it's exactly the reminder that they needed. You know, I can imagine that, in part, one of the reasons why the Lord might have put this here is because if anyone had an excuse to keep working continually and not take a Sabbath rest, it probably would have been these men you know, Bezalel and Aholiab. You know, Bezalel and Aholiab received instructions from Moses himself for the building of God's house. The Lord himself had commissioned them to the work. They'd been filled by God's Spirit with the ability to do the work. So if anyone had an excuse to just kind of keep working continually and not take a Sabbath rest, it probably would have been these men, huh? You know, I can't stop and rest in the Lord because I'm too busy working for the Lord. There's a danger then. It's a danger still today. 
The danger is that ministry becomes more important than the one for whom we minister. The command to Sabbath rest likely comes here, lest anyone forget for whom they work. Lest anyone forget for whom they build. Because, friends, the work for our God can never replace the worship of our God. Work for our God can never replace the worship of our God. You know, it's funny, I was wrestling with this truth this week. I meet once a month with a spiritual director, and his name is Will. And Will helps me recenter again on the Lord to, to slow down, to stop, and to listen better. And this week, as I was meeting with Will, I was complaining that I was just, I was just struggling in my time with the Lord. I, I was just, I, it wasn't a problem for a long time, but it is now, and we talked until the problems came clear. You see, until recently, I've been using one of those Bible reading programs where you read through the Bible in a year. And I don't know if any of you have ever used those, but they can be a lot of fun because you're like, yeah, check, 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 check. Yes, another line, check, check. And as you read, you keep checking them off. And it gets exciting, especially as you start to see it fill up and you get to the end and there's a sense of accomplishment. And you work all the way through and you get to the end, you're like, yeah, I did it. I worked through it. I accomplished it. Well, I recently transitioned from using one of those to, at the recommendation of another pastor I respect, just dwelling in a book of the Bible for an entire month. And for July, I read over and over again Mark's Gospel. And in August, read over and over again Galatians. In September, over and over again 1 Corinthians. Just dwelling in the Word, digging deep, meditating upon the same section of Scripture for a whole month. And honestly, I was hating it. I was hating it. And as I talked to Will, the reason for my struggle became clear. You see, I enjoyed doing for God more than I enjoyed dwelling with Him. I enjoyed the, the work of reading through the Bible in a year more than the worship of getting to know God better. I, I wasn't enjoying my read-through of the Bible because my goal was knowing God better. My goal was to check off boxes. And that felt really good. Friends, we can stand in danger of loving the work more than we love the God for whom we work. We can stand in danger. I was in danger of loving Bible reading more than I was loving the Bible's author. I was in danger of loving my achievements more than falling in love with my Savior. Friends, the danger of letting work for God replace our worship of God is dangerous. We can get lost in doing for God rather than in delighting in Him. And the Sabbath reminder giving right here after commissioning Bezalel and Aholiab to build the tabernacle is a reminder that even a good thing, like the work of building the tabernacle, could have crowded out the best thing, which is to worship God. God calls us first and foremost, church, to know Him. He wants us to know Him. And work for Him must never replace worship of Him. I mean, do you remember the terrifying warning that Jesus issued us in the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew seven twenty two. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Lord, look at all the good works that I did in your name. Look at all the things that I achieved. 
How, look at how many times I successfully checked off all the boxes and I made it through the Bible in a year. And yet to have him look and say, but I never knew you. God calls us first and foremost, church, to know him. So the work can and must never replace our worship of him. Doing for him cannot replace delight in him. The Lord invites us, his people, first to know him. And the Sabbath was given as a gift. It was given as a gift to Israel that they might know the Lord. That's what verse 13 says. Verse 13 says, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbath, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generation, so that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. God makes explicit here, the weekly Sabbath was intended that Israel might know the Lord. That they might know the Lord and be sanctified by Him. The weekly Sabbath promoted knowledge of the Lord and the sanctification, the making holy of His people. So to replace these times of worship even with even the best of works threatens knowing the Lord. Because every relationship takes time. The Lord knew that His people needed not only a holy space to worship, they needed to set aside a holy time to worship. So so look at the flow of this section. Think about this. God's given Moses instructions. He gifted Bezalel and Aholiab for the construction, and then He granted His people an occasion. He goes, you're building right now the place for worship. Make sure you set aside the time for worship. Build the place for worship but also build the time for worship, the Sabbath. The Sabbath was, in the words of one commentator, a tabernacle in time. A tabernacle in time. You're building, here's the instructions, you're building a place to worship, the tabernacle. Also build the time to worship, the Sabbath. The Lord having built at the center of Israel's space and time a tabernacle where they might meet with Him. Why? So that they could know that He's the Lord. And friends, he was to be at the very center. When we look at the tabernacle and where it was situated, in the center of Israel's camp, it was right in the middle. And when we look at the Sabbath, they're reminded over and over again because the Sabbath was to be at the center of their life together. Because friends, God is not just something that you tack on to your life. He's the center around which everything else becomes arranged. You don't just add God to your life. You're reoriented, re-centered on the Lord. And the tabernacle at the center of the camp, the Sabbath, constantly recentering and reorienting them. Everything else structured and built around the Lord. The people set apart space, the tabernacle, time, the Sabbath, and the Lord, in doing so, used that to sanctify, to set apart a people. And the Sabbath command makes clear here, Sabbath was not a day for business as usual. When you read that Sabbath command, you get the sense people weren't just, hey, Sabbath is here, go out and do your own thing. This is a mistake I think that you and I too often make. You know, we think that Sabbath or rest is really about more me time, don't we? Oh yeah, rest, it's about me time. Sabbath, this idea of Sabbath, if I take a Sabbath, it's about me time, it's more me time. But friends, Sabbath rest is about attention to the Lord. Sabbath rest is about intention and attention to the Lord. 
Friends, even if you take time off from your work, one of the reasons why you still might be feeling spiritually weary is that you're looking to the wrong things to renew you. You know, what we most need is not a day off. What we most need is a day with. What our souls most need is not a vacation from. We need a vacation with, with Him. Sabbath rest is about intention and attention to the Lord. I was listening to a sermon by Pastor Matt Chandler this week, and I liked what he said about rest. He said, it's not just your physical body or your mind that gets weary, it's your soul. And the ocean and the mountains will not refresh your soul unless you've gone there to gaze upon the majesty of God. We must find our rest in the Lord. Anything else is escapism. Anything else is escapism. Friends, for as beautiful as it is out there, the mountains and the ocean, more sleep, better food, a day off, a week away, none of these things by themselves can refresh your soul. None of those things can give, by themselves can give you rest. Only the majesty and the presence of God can give you rest for your soul. And so the Lord has set apart for His people a space, the tabernacle, and a time, the Sabbath, that His people might not just rest from their labors, but so that they would rest in Him. So that they would rest with Him. To gaze upon His majesty, to gaze upon His glory, and to be renewed in their soul. And church, we need to remember that the same invitation, the same invitation is extended to you and to I today. As we've already been reminded in our study of Exodus, Jesus Christ Himself is the fulfillment. He's the fulfillment of the tabernacle. He's the fulfillment of the Sabbath. In Jesus Christ, we find the place where we meet with God. In Jesus Christ, we find the Sabbath rest for our weary souls. We meet with and we gaze upon the glory of the Lord in Jesus Christ, and we are renewed. As we read last week in John chapter 1, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt, or literally tabernacled, among us. And we've seen His glory, the glory is of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Jesus Christ, we dwell with God. We gaze upon God's glory and majesty and we are renewed. Jesus Christ is our tabernacle, our Sabbath rest. And so it is that He can invite us. And friends, we are now free to respond as He invited in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Friends, the weekly Sabbath rest that God offered to His people pointed to Christ, and it points us to Christ. A rest from our work, from our work of trying to earn salvation so that we instead rest in Him. And as we rest in Him, He will, as He said to the people in Exodus 31.13 I, the Lord, sanctify you. I sanctify you. As you rest in Me, I do the work. As devotional author Oswald Chambers wrote, it's quite true to say, I can't live a holy life. But you can decide to let Jesus Christ make you holy. I can't live a holy life, but I can rest in Him 
and let the Lord sanctify me. Make me holy. Set me apart. Transform me. As He promised, I sanctify you. So let your striving cease and rest in Christ. Gaze upon the majesty and the glory of the Lord in Jesus Christ. Let Him set you apart. Let Him make you holy. Let Him accomplish His purposes in you and through you. You cannot make yourself holy. But the Lord has said, I, the Lord, sanctify you. You can rest. We can rest in Christ, in His work. To make a habit of gazing upon and delighting in His beauty. And decide to let Christ make us holy and invite His Spirit to fill us and to use us for His purposes and for His name's sake. So friends, the question that we're left with today is, will we? Will we find our rest in Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Father, help us to find the rest that our souls need to stop striving, to stop fearing, and to rest wholly and completely in what Christ has done. As we sang earlier, it was really a prayer. Fill us anew, we pray. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, your Spirit that sets us apart, your Spirit that empowers us, your Spirit that fills us, your Spirit that transforms us, and your Spirit that will equip us for your purposes, that we might bring glory to your name. Father, even as we're about to sing, may it be a prayer. God of grace and God of glory on your people, pour your power. Sanctify us, set us apart, and send us forth. For your name's sake and for your glory we pray. Amen.